Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts, Omar Bourne and Allison Panisi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm Christina Farrell. And I'm Bushra Malik. And you are our listeners, and as always, we thank you for joining us. We want you to come back as often as you can, so feel free to add Prep Talk to your favorite RSS feed. You can also follow us on social media on our Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram sites. On this episode of Prep Talk, we'll be featuring Amy Gibson-Grant, the Vice President and Group Campaign Director of the Ad Council, and Bill Oberlander, the Executive Creative Director and Co-Founder to Oberland. Our agency has been working with the Ad Council since 2009 and just recently began working with Oberlin to help provide New Yorkers with preparedness campaigns. Before we dive in, you know what time it is. Let us get you updated on the latest news in the emergency management field. Here's your Prep Talk Situation Report. This is the Situation Report. Let's get started. Thank you, Bushra. First up, here at New York City Emergency Management, we have conducted our biennial survey of New Yorkers and their preparedness for various emergencies. We conduct this poll every other year in conjunction with Global Strategy Group to gauge how prepared New Yorkers feel to serve their needs more accurately before, during, and after emergencies. Encouragingly, a majority of New York City residents, 62%, feel somewhat prepared for an emergency, such as a natural disaster, fire, power outage, or act of terrorism. About half of New Yorkers surveyed have an emergency plan, which is up from 42% in 2017 and 40% in 2015. Of course, our goal is to help all New Yorkers to develop their own emergency plan, so we hope we can get that number up to 100% by the next poll in 2021. Thanks, Christina. Now, you may have seen some explosive rumors in the news recently about the president's alleged plan to drop nuclear bombs on hurricanes in order to prevent them from making landfall in the U.S. Would it work? According to scientist Marshall Shepard, writing in Forbes, there is a possibility, but the consequences of doing so would make it a bad idea overall. According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's frequently asked questions, apart from the fact that this might not even alter the storm, This approach neglects the problem that the released radioactive fallout would fairly quickly move with the trade winds to affect land areas and cause devastating environmental problems. As for the similar idea of interfering with developing tropical waves and depressions, only about 5% of these systems that form each year develop into hurricanes, we would not be able to determine which to nuke. Unfortunately, we cannot just nuke them all. And another interesting story. The third round of the PGA Tour Golf Championship was suspended when lightning struck a 60-foot pine tree that fans were seeking shelter beneath. Six people were injured and taken to a local medical facility with minor injuries. The PGA Tour canceled play temporarily. Warnings were on scoreboards about the severe weather approaching, and hospitality areas were open for shelter, but evidently not everyone was able to make it indoors in time. Remember, when lightning is expected, take shelter indoors, Structures like bus shelters or trees do not provide adequate protection. And that is the Situation Report. Still to come, we'll be talking with Amy Gibson-Grant from the Ad Council and Bill Oberlander from Oberland. But first, here is a public service announcement from New York City Emergency Management 
And this sounds familiar, the Ad Council. Open calendar. What's my schedule looking like? Next Thursday, you will be caught in an emergency flash flood between Park and First Street. What? No, no, that, that doesn't work. I'm, I'm busy then. Decline. De decline. Disasters don't plan ahead, but you can. It starts with talking to your loved ones about making an emergency plan. So don't wait. Communicate. Get started today at nyc.gov slash readyny or call 311. Brought to you by New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. You're listening to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. You are listening to Prep Talk, and we are back. Joining us is Amy Gibson Grant, Vice President and Group Campaign Director of the Ad Council, and Bill Oberlander from Oberlin. Thank you both for joining us. Thank Our you. pleasure. Great to be here. Let's get started. Can each of you tell our listeners about your company and its mission? Amy, let's start with you. The Ad Council is a nonprofit organization that brings together the top creative minds in marketing, advertising, technology to address the nation's most important causes. Uh, we like to say that where creativity and causes converge, and basically what we mean by that is we make innovative social good campaigns to raise awareness, inspire action, and even save lives. That can mean anything from bullying prevention to recognizing the signs of Alzheimer's in a loved one or encouraging folks to get a lung cancer screening. A lot of people will know us for some of our iconic campaigns like "Don't Friends Don't Let Friends Drive Drunk, Smokey Bear, or Love Has No Labels. Oh, hi, Bill Oberlander and uh, founder of Oberland. And Oberland is something we kind of call mavocacy. So it's Madison Avenue comes to the advocacy space. So it's 30 years of experience um, coming to uh, the place of conscious capitalism and social justice. So there's about 30 of us working in... Um, advertising and marketing and collateral development and uh, public relations all on behalf of social good. And Oberland is, 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 is literally a place, uh, the, it's the highest peak in the Swiss uh, German Alps, and it's all about creating brands with higher purpose, and that's kind of the metaphor for Oberland. Bill, when people think of Madison Avenue and of advertising and everything, they don't always think of purpose-driven and and social causes. Um, so as the founder, why was that important to you to work that into your agency? Um, two things. One is that, um, I mean, the bottom line is people are looking for me more meaning in their lives, especially with Generation Y and Generation Z, and people are much more reflective about what does this all mean? Who am I? Why am I here? Uh, and that's that same conditioning uh, going on in their in their social conscious is also happening in the marketing and brand world. And people are making choices of what they buy and brands they want to surround their lives with based on the social good that represents uh, itself in different brands. So if it's Nike, you have Colin taking a knee, or if you have REI, you have Black Friday. Uh, brands that are behaving and in, in a socially conscious way and working on behalf of, of the greater good. And we really believe that um, you know, the profit in the next, the next generation in marketing, profit is really going to be driven by purpose. And, you know, it used to be that you had a unique selling proposition, it used to be that you had a competitive edge when it came to some kind of, um, you know, service or brand differentiation. And now we really believe that the new consumer is looking to know what's behind the brand, who's behind the brand, what the CEO is doing in a political arena, uh, how many women are on the board of directors, do they have good uh, manufacturing practices in foreign countries. All these things add up to why people make purchase decisions. Uh, and also, you know, I turned 50 and I had a uh, midlife awakening and I thought, you know, after 
selling candy bars and miniskirts for 30 years, I could actually take my creativity and drill it into something much more substantive and much more purposeful. And I can say, as someone else on the other side of 50, 50 is the new 30. So, uh, oh, my birthday, the other one's coming, so 60 is the new 40. There you go. That's <laughs> all, it, it, the math keeps working like that. So all you youngsters here, don't be afraid. Only gets better. Uh, so Amy, as you know, because I've been working with you since 2009, uh, the Ad Council and Emergency Management have had a relationship and been able to work together for the past decade. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about how uh, we began to work together and how this coordination has progressed over the last 10 years? Well, before we started working together, the Ad Council has been working on the issue of emergency preparedness uh, at the national level since 2003 with our partners at FEMA. Um, But as you know, there's a need to get the word out um, at the local level with relevant communications and resources that are resonant to, you know, particular areas. Um, and so it made a lot of sense, um, given how unique the New York market is and and sort of the, the unique challenges you guys have, not only as a geography, but also the media marketplace, how unique it is. Um, it made more sense. It made a lot of sense for our organizations to align closely and create a tailored campaign. And we began collaborating because not unlike the nation as a whole, there are a lot of New Yorkers who aren't prepared adequately for an emergency. Uh, people don't think that they need a formal emergency plan because, you know, disaster isn't likely to happen or they don't want to think or talk about it. And like many New Yorkers, they're just busy juggling their lives and it gets, you know, it drops to the bottom of their to-do list. So ultimately, you know, people just give themselves the excuse that, like, if it actually happened, I could just wing it on the fly. Um, and we feel like an advertising campaign, a public service marketing campaign really could help shake that point of view um, and spread the important message of pre- preparation and ultimately save lives and make those types of events uh, easier on people. And we've been very proud at Emergency Management that we have been a local campaign that you took on in coordination with FEMA. Um, and also as someone who oversees our outreach and our marketing and communications budget, um, you know, the work that we've been able to do with you, um, your model of uh, working pro bono with the creative and with the placement, um, you know, exponentially has increased the access of New Yorkers to localized ads and to um, call to action to come directly back to city resources. Because uh, I think um, over the last 10 years, like it's some number like 80 or 90 million worth of free advertising and, and free creative that you've brought to the city. So we thank you for that uh, and for all the great campaigns that we've been able to do across. And we're super excited about the campaign that, that we're launching this month. Yeah, it's been great working with you guys the past 10 years. And you know, having agencies um, like Oberland who bring their creative passion to the work. And, you know, you mentioned 10 years, you know, a lot has actually changed in that time. You know, back in 2009, people, most people didn't have smartphones and, um, you know, disasters like Hurricane Sandy hadn't happened yet. So I think even the types of disasters that New Yorkers thought they were at risk for were different um, at, at that time. Um, and so our campaign really over the period of the last 10 years uh, has progressed accordingly from both a message and a delivery perspective. And we've worked hard alongside you all and with uh, our agency partners to take advantage of the latest trends, use the, use the latest technology to make our resources uh, user-friendly and meet people where they are in the delivery of those messages. For example, you, know, you can even make an emergency plan through the Ready New York City app, but that's uh, all part of you know, making things available to people in the most uh, accessible ways. So, Bill, this question is for you. So this is Oberlin's first pro bono uh, campaign. Why did Oberlin decide to get involved with the Ad Council and how has it been to work with an emergency preparedness campaign? 
There's so many different ways to answer that question. First of all, I've worked on um, maybe four or five different ad council campaigns before I started my own agency. So I've always been aware of the power of creativity to to change the world for the better. Um, So when I started my own agency, it was only natural that I would, you know, approach the ad council and offer our services. Uh, The other thing I'll offer is that I'm a ridiculously devoted New Yorker. I mean, I just have such a great love affair with New York City. And um, when I left the advertising business, um, I actually went to become the marketing director for the Robin Hood Foundation before I started Oberlin. I did that for two years and my job was to basically help grow the brand. But what happened two weeks into my tenure there is that Hurricane Sandy hit. So I went from immediately going from dealing with the macro issue of growing the Robinhood brand to actually doing this Sandy Relief concert called 121212 to raise $53 million in in that one night. So the whole idea of how vulnerable New York City is, because we're surrounded by water, um, became acutely uh, in the fore of my mind. And, um, you know, I never forgot it. And a lot of people are still suffering from that terrible event. Um, So when I got the call from the Ad Council to work on um, emergency preparedness, it just seemed like a natural because how much I love New York City, how vulnerable I believe, you know, the 9 million people that live here are. And also I've always, you know, leaned into social causes, you know, as a creative person. I mean, one of our clients is the Nature Conservancy. We talk about coastal resilience all the time. So this is part of our vernacular. Keep America beautiful. Same thing. Like we have this awareness of the environment and, you know, all the, you know, the vulnerability that New York City faces day in, day out. That was it. I, we got the call. I was thrilled we got the call. Like I said, I was uh, on the Creative Review Committee um, with Heidi Arthur for a long time and Priscilla Natkins. And so I guess I was in uh, top of mind. So when uh, the, the opportunity came, they called and we showed up. Yeah, we were really excited this year to um, have such a, like you said, devout New York, uh, New Yorker and New York agency, you know, at the helm of the creative project. It's been, it's really made a difference and made the work really sing for, for this audience. Yeah, no, and I will definitely second that. We had, um, I think back uh, maybe 2013, we had worked with a New York City-based firm and um, they had really, uh, when you're walking the streets, riding the subway, you know, dealing with all the issues, small and large emergencies that happen here pretty frequently, um, you know, you really get a feel for it. So when uh, when Amy and her crew called us this year and said that we had a firm, even before we knew what your background was, um, we were really excited that that you were New Yorkers and, um, you know, that we could all kind of start from the same sheet of music. And as the year progressed, it, it's been a great experience. So we thank you for your love of New York and thank you for, uh, you know, working for us. Uh, we've touched a little bit on some emergencies, namely Sandy, and it is hurricane season. Um, you know, New York City, it, it seems like it's always hurricane season here at emergency <laughs> management, but yeah. uh, we're now in the thick of it. But, you know, including Sandy, but but throughout your career, what are some emergencies that have um, you've experienced personally or that have shaped kind of how you work on these campaigns and how you think of it personally and professionally? Amy? Well, I live in D.C. now, but um, I, I, too, uh, have a, a They have emergencies of, in D.C., we too. Do, we'll give them we that. We do. Um, but I was going to say that um, I have a, a love of New York, and I lived here for over 10 years. Um, and I was living here during 9-11. And I think that for me, what that event did was it rid me of the notion that nothing bad could ever happen here. And it also showed me what the city looked like when a mass event occurred. Um, but funny enough, that wasn't really enough to get me to prepare for anything in the future. I think at the time it just felt like an anomaly. 
And it wasn't until that widespread blackout that happened in the summer of 2003 where I really personally understood how woefully unprepared I was for any sort of emergency situation. And I mean, I could probably talk for 30 minutes about the the trials and tribulations that I went through that day and all the you know missed connections and craziness that I went through. But I think really to sum it up, there were lots of hassles and stressors that I quite frankly didn't need to deal with at all had I been prepared. And there were some simple steps I could have taken. And so I think back to that often when I'm working on this campaign and this issue that, you know, it's it is, yes, it's the larger scale things that the Hurricane Sandys, but it's also, you know, the blackouts that happen unexpectedly that last for 24, 48, 72 hours. And you need to get through them without um, too much heart, heart, heartache, headache. Um, and you know, it's funny, I was actually just in New York just recently. I just missed the most recent blackout. Uh, I think I was driving with my three kids across the uh, George Washington Bridge as the lights were going out on Broadway um, <laughs> back to D.C. So, it, you know, it happens frequently. And sometimes, you know, two weeks later, you forget it happened. But they're, they're really poignant reminders that you know, these things aren't just those big events, too. Right. I was actually in Los Angeles shooting when I heard about the blackout. Um, where was it again? It was, it was in, like, was it Midtown? Uh, it ended up being Madison Square Garden up the west side. Right. But I immediately thought of my children. Um, I think that is a, is a, is a, is a point that kind of heightens this issue, you know, being a parent, your job is to provide and protect. So, um, obviously being involved with the ad council and being involved with uh, the city preparedness, you think about 9 million people, but the people you think about first are, is your family. So I have two sons and they were both in the city for, uh, for the summer. So when I heard about that failure, I um, immediately called both of them to make sure that they were in a, in a good place. Um, but yeah, it was Hurricane Sandy that came through um, that reminded me of how we were ill-prepared if there was you know, electrical failure or cellular failure and where was the meeting plan and where would we have the supplies that get us through 72 hours. So that was taken that we have a home in uh, in Westchester and of course in the city. So there's uh, packages on both sides to prepare for that. And I think, um, I mean, Hurricane Sandy and 9-11, the blackout, I've been here for all the, <laughs> all the big ones. Locked down um, memory lane. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but you know, definitely those are um, milestones and, and, you know, things that we reference and talk to. Um, but they also start to fade, as you said, in people's memories, um, you know, Hurricane Sandy it was 2012, so it's been several years. New people have moved in, have grown up. So it is a reminder, and you see things, I think, as things happen. We've also gotten more connected around the world, so you know almost instantaneously when there are things, earthquake eruptions or um, even tsunamis or things in other parts of the world, and you see uh, how it affects them. So, you know, there, there are many reminders, although we always... Um, you know, a lot of the emergencies that we work on here are things that um, don't even make the news or only make it for a day or two. But for the people that lost their home due to a fire, um, you know, or if there's a water main break and, um, you know, it can be devastating for them. You know, that's why we really look at an all hazards approach. And we appreciate so much having the opportunity to get these ads out in English and Spanish, get them out across the city and in different mediums. So uh, so people can work. And um, I think someone said a couple of stuff, simple steps. And that is uh, part of our mantra that it can seem overwhelming. Um, but, you know, having a, a few things connected, having a meeting place, having a go bag, you know, you can take a few small steps and that can really go a long way. To, it's still going to be stressful. It's still there are emergencies. They're not going to be fun, um, but they can be a lot better. And you can really be, in a lot of cases, um, in charge of your own destiny. So we hope that everyone will continue 
listen and continue to plan and work on that. I think for me, the biggest thing that I've learned going through these things firsthand is just not get, not to go through life always counting on only one way to do something. So, you know, learn multiple ways to communicate with your family so that if one doesn't work, you can try something else. Um, know what typically works when there's no power. And um, also just like know how to get from one place to another in a couple of different manners, like on foot by bus versus the subway. Um, that has been extremely helpful in a couple of instances where, you know, your commute's disrupted. And so those are all very simple things that, you know, when you're in a routine and you do the same thing day in and day out, um, you sometimes forget how to do it a different way. And so just even having a conversation about, oh, what would we do if we if we couldn't do it that way can be really helpful. Definitely. And another thing I'll say is um, people, obviously, smartphones and technology is great. Uh, but when a cell tower goes down, when there's no power for an extended period, you know, people um, don't memorize phone numbers anymore. They don't walk around with a little filofax or whatever we used to have. So uh, it's also realizing that technology, uh, you know, can and and may fail. And so you have to have some paper backup plans or have something so you're not just reliant on a smartphone or on um, technology. So, Amy, this question is going to be for you. Um, how does your agency perform research to accurately, accurately market the different campaigns launch? We've worked together for um, almost, almost 10 years now. So, Yeah, all of our campaigns are supported by pretty rigorous strategic development processes. You know, we make sure that we develop the right approach and message for each of the, the core audiences that we're trying to reach with all of our campaigns. Um, and since this campaign has been around for about a decade now, uh, we want to make sure that we're also evaluating those messages um, to make sure that we're capturing how New Yorkers prefer to consume that information and that we're tailoring our approach as uh, times evolve and learning from the impacts of previous rounds of work. So at the outset of a campaign and at the out outset of this one, you know, we conducted focus groups to learn how people prepare for emergencies, how they define them see how they feel about uh, existing materials that are available, messages that are out there. And we can we compile consumer insights to inform a creative brief that we hand off to our agency partners like Oberland. Um, and then they come up with really amazing creative ideas, which, you know, uh, Bill can talk about how that process. Uh, and after we have a, a short list of ideas, generally we do communications check research where we bring those ideas to consumers have them react to it, make sure that it's resonant with them, that they're taking away the key messages that we intend them to. Finally, we produce the work and, and put it out into the world. Um, and then we measure impact through uh, analytics and, and in some cases, consumer tracking as well. So say, suffice it to say, there's a lot that goes into all of these campaigns. And um, we, we really are an impact-driven organization that looks at all of those things. Um, Bill, as you mentioned, you got a phone call. You said yes. And then uh, it went from there. So as we launch our new campaign this week called Communicate When It Counts, can you uh, talk us through a little bit what the experience was like and how you uh, went about developing this campaign? The creative process begins with a strategic development process and looking for some kind of insight into you know the human condition and how people behave, specifically how families behave. Um, and the insight was, you know, obviously we need people to communicate to prepare for any kind of emergency. But the truth is, you know, in, in the 21st century, um, I would argue since the beginning of time, but even now so more than ever, families in a cute, endearing way don't communicate, especially when you have teenagers. 
um, especially uh, in the household now where there's iPhones and video games and all kinds of electronic distractions. I'm sure lots of our viewers remember asking their children to put down their phone and stop texting their friend in the middle of dinner. You know, so I, I think the, the simple truth is, is that families tend to not communicate on a general basis uh, in the household. And, you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a parent of two teenage boys and I've experienced that. So the whole idea of if you're going to communicate about emergency first, you kind of want to um, play with the idea and poke fun at the fact that family members don't communicate to one another. Uh, there's lots of things they don't want to talk about. And that was kind of the, the strategic insight. And that's how we got to the creative idea of different kind of non-on-camera on action where you see people doing things like you know the husband not knowing how to make uh, a pot of coffee or the young teenage girl who doesn't want to clean up a room and it's a mess everywhere. And basically you get that response. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. And then when it comes to being prepared for an emergency, that is the very specific time you need to be talking. So that's the kind of juxtaposition. You know, I think what was really brilliant about Oberlin's uh, creative approach here is that, you know, while you said at the top of the, the whole podcast that, you know, encouraging news that over half of a, or almost half of New Yorkers are, feel prepared, we are always reminded that means half or not. And, uh, you know, you have ambitious goals to get it to that 100%. So what we need to really be aware of is, you know, people know that they should be prepared. Um, but they're not always eager to think or talk about that worst case scenario or really take the time to have the conversation. So I think a creative campaign like the one Oberlin has put together really helps disrupt uh, people as they're going throughout their day, uh, give them a little bit of a chuckle, but also give them a really poignant reminder that they need to have that conversation. So I think for us at the Ad Council, that's what we appreciated most about this approach. No, I agree. And when back in the fall, when um, you approached us with this concept, um, you know, it clicked. It just made me laugh because I felt like it was my family, even though I only have tweens. But still, they don't want to talk to me. They don't want to put down their phones. Um, so, you know, and I, I think like Bill said, um, this is something that resonates, you know, across cultures and um, across the boroughs that uh, you come home at the end of the day, you ask your kids, how was the day? What happened? And they're just go fine and get back to what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, so you want, you know, and you feel like there was 12 hours here. I didn't see you. Come on. Something had to happen. Um, so, you know, kind of beating that head on with a little bit of humor, um, you know, I, I, we felt was like a really fresh approach and something that everybody could identify with. So we're excited to get these ads out and to see how they do. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to talk city. about everything, but right. you should talk about an emergency. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure we've all asked our children, how is school? And you get the one answer. Good. You know, and are you hungry for dinner? Yes. And so I, 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 I think what's, What's, what resonates about that idea is it's just truthful. And an audience is going to be able to relate to that and say, you know, like any other messaging that we have in the commercial space, if you can relate to somebody on their terms, they're going to give up their attention span and they're going to focus on what you have to present to them, whether you're selling a product or telling them to get ready for an emergency. You win them over and then they actually start to prescribe and change their behavior. I think it's also really interesting because I've sort of had the opposite uh, experience where I've, you know, I'm really close to my family and I asked my mom, like, have you ever thought about what to do for an emergency? And I never really asked her that question until I, until I started working at this agency. And, it, you know, she never really made a plan. We had the blue cards in elementary school and in and, and public school when I was growing up here. Um, but we never had a go bag until I was the one who put it together. So I think it's, it's really exciting because this idea of 
you know, making sure that we communicate, it resonates with everybody, regardless of whether or not it's your parent or guardian or grandparents that you live with or your children who don't necessarily think about what to do during an emergency. Right. That's a good point. I think even for families who are really communicative, it's it just sort of puts this on the agenda for those conversations. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, English isn't the first language that we speak at home. So, you know, they never really thought about that back home. And especially with New York City being such a diverse city, it's important that we make sure that, you know, that message res- resonates with everybody that lives here, regardless of their background. The name of our campaign is, you know, Communicate When It Counts. But speaking of making it count, our listeners are in for a treat as we'll play our latest Ad Council radio campaign. Your daughter doesn't want to talk about why her room is a horrible mess. Your son doesn't want to talk about why he's wearing mismatching socks. Your spouse doesn't want to talk about their bad haircut. Families don't have to talk about everything, but they should talk to plan for an emergency. Pack basic supplies in a go bag, water, canned food, flashlights, batteries, medical supplies, IDs, and some cash. Talk about where you'll meet in case you lose one another. And of course, don't forget to pack the dog treats. Talk to your family and make an emergency plan. Go to nyc.gov slash readyny or call 311 to make your family's emergency plan. Brought to you by New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. If you don't know, now you know. You're listening to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. All right. It is rapid response time. And if you're a first-time listener or a first-time guest, it's simple. Busher and I will ask questions, and our guests will give the first answer that comes to mind. It's time for Prep Talk Rapid Response. What is one emergency item you cannot live without? Amy, I'll start with you. Since I'm a mom of three, I'd probably, uh, you know, aside from all the expected things, I'd probably have to say like a deck of cards or coloring book or something to keep my kids entertained because if I'm going to be, you know, stuck in a room with power and communications for a while, I'm going to definitely need something like that. <laughs> right. It, for me, um, it's the, the Mophie, um, you know, phone charger. Mm. So I have about four or five of these in briefcases in, uh, in the office at home. Uh, my girlfriend's place, you know, I'm always looking to recharge the battery for some reason. I guess I'm Yeah, I like my much. car charger. It, it fits in my cup uh, holder and you can also plug in an AC adapter into it. So that would be my second choice. Yeah, maybe there should be adapters on the subway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bill, we'll start with you. What are your hobbies? I got to get one. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I think I, my answer to that is New York City. I, I've just, I've been here for 38 years and I just love all the different things that New York. Uh, I mean, go to museums, go to galleries. Um, I like to collect photography. Um, so more like exploring the art world, the creative world of New York City. Uh, well, I like baking and decorating cakes uh, that I give to other people. That's the important part because I can't eat them all myself. It's uh, really a, a creative outlet. I'm re- I, at one point, I actually sold them on the side. And there was one time when I sold a cake and I had a blackout while I was cooking it. So it took twice as long to, to cook it. And then I was afraid it was going to melt. But Anyway, I powered through, and it, it all was good. But yeah, I've even baked. So now dirt. you have a baking emergency I ba- plan. I even have a baking emergency plan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is your favorite disaster movie? 
You first. The Wizard of Oz. Interesting. I think last week was like the 80th anniversary. <laughs> My daughter so. actually just played uh, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, so that made me think of it. But I also really liked the Ar- the Armageddon one. So I like disaster movies that have a good soundtrack. My son just played a tree in The Wizard of Oz, so your daughter may have slightly more <laughs> so acting any, talent yeah, than my I children. Think, I think the soundtrack's key. Uh, this won't come as a great surprise, Ghostbusters. Who doesn't love Bill Murray and a crazy story about New York City and ghosts? So yeah, I saw it as a kid and stays with me ever since. Uh, all right, this is always a perennial favorite. What is currently on your playlist, Phil? Again, very unexpected. Somebody turned me on to... Um, I'm a big Radiohead fan, so someone just turned me on to Radio Dread, which is a reggae cover of all these great um, you know, Radiohead songs. So it's basically, it's a variety of different reggae artists covering Radiohead songs. So to me, it's like the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think I'm obviously realizing how impacted I am by, by my daughter, but um, it's that Sunflower song from the Spider-Verse soundtrack. Uh, it's definitely been on repeat at our house. And even my two-year-old, when she hears the intro to that mm-hmm. uh, starts to to chair dance so it's really cute so i have to admit i've heard my kids talking about sunflower but i haven't heard the actual song it's i just like, know it got them off of old town ooh, road ooh, I'm just ooh, like, no. like wow i'm sure we'll insert it after this yeah yeah um, Omar, one of our usual hosts who isn't here, he usually does some singing along the way. So yeah. I'm glad you were here to pick up. That's good. Yeah, that's you might have a second career. Yeah, <laughs> or a third after baking, you can <laughs> put them all together. So this is an, always an exciting question. Sum up the work that you do in one word. Uh, if all goes well, uh, I would say the Ad Council aims to inspire. Uh, for us, is purpose. I mean, we've been talking about purpose for five years now, and it gives us very clear direction of why the agency exists and why people want to work here and the kind of clients that we attract and the kind of work we do. So uh, purpose. Uh, Well, I want to thank you both for coming in and thank you for all the great work you've done for us uh, for over this year, Bill, and over the last 10 years, Amy. And um, like we said, we're super excited to get the new campaign out there. Uh, For all our listeners, you'll see it literally everywhere. On uh, bus shelters, we have TV, radio, web, out of home. Um, so when I get all excited, we're driving around. I said, look, there's our ad. My kids are like, I know, I know, <laughs> your ad. But uh, anyways, they uh, it gives us great um, visibility into all different boroughs in the city and even across the region. So we're excited to get these up. We thank both of you for your partnership. And again, we hope that everyone takes the advice of our, our guests and you know checks out their plan. Or if they don't have an emergency plan, visit our website, visit our social media, and take the first steps to help you and your family get prepared. That's this episode of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared.